Okay, everybody. Uh, hi, this is Rick Poundstone, and welcome into the Draft Champion on Z's podcast. I'm in uh, Nadeva. I'm right by Area 61. Uh, my family and I, uh, we, I don't want to say we were on the run, but anyway, I have to introduce a segment with these two boys. It's Petey Parlay or something, and uh, uh, Tommy Trifecta, and they're going to talk about some kind of MLB draft stuff, and boys, take it away. Uh, Tommy Trifecta, go ahead. What up? This is Tommy Trifecta. We're here to fucking give you some fantasy baseball sleepers in no better way than to do it fantasy football style because the fantasy football analysts fucking can mock out with their fucking cocks out, okay? Here we go. That's right, Mark. Yeah, Mark and I with a front cocks on. This is Parley Pete. How's it going, everybody? We got a lot to talk about today. And I, I don't know about you, Tommy Trifecta. I am still totally 100% in football mode. How about you? Oh, fuck. Is the Super Bowl on the end? I'm still fucking hung over here. Hell yeah, absolutely. Uh, how about them Eagles or Chiefs? Chiefs win the Super Bowl. We're going to talk a little bit about our fantasy baseball draft tips today. Luckily for you, football and baseball kind of similar. We all know that the real experts are in the fantasy football realm, a.k.a. us. And we're going to bring our expertise to this uh, pigskin, or well, not pigskin, the uh, foreskin uh, baseball. So, uh, Tommy, what do you got there, bud? All right, so you ever hear the fantasy football analysts go, what if Zeke gets injured? You gotta draft Pollard, right? Guess what? My sleeper is Enoli Paredes on the Houston Astros. Because what if Presley gets hurt? And what if what if Montero gets hurt? And then what if fucking Ryan Abreu gets hurt? Enoli Paredes. That's my sleep. That is some cagey thinking there, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. You never, you got to account for injuries and nobody's ever thinking about that. Right. No, you know, what if he no, gets no one's talking about it. No one's talking about that. Exactly. You got to get the handcuff. That's just the way it goes. So yeah, I'm totally with you there, friend. And I got to tell you right now, what I'm looking at, there are not enough people. They are sleeping. You hear that? Doon, 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 doon. They are sleeping on the Oakland Athletics. We all know you got to stack, stack, stack. When it comes to fantasy football, you got to stack a team lineup. We got to do the same thing with the Oakland A's. I, I want an Oakland A's stack right now. They're going late in drafts. Give me the Kemp. Give me the Diaz. Give me the Seth Brown. Give me the Jesus Agler. Give me the Ryan Noda. Give me the Shang Lavalier microphone. Give me the Jace Peterson. Give me the Jock Peterson. Give me the JJ Blade. Give me the Estieri uh, um, uh, Ruse. I want all of them. I'm going to stack them. Give me the A's. They're going too late. I'm going to stack these motherfuckers. Yeah, give me that air horn. This is... This Jesus Christ, are we done with this? Well, I think we also got to stack the relievers the same way if someone if they get hurt. If they get hurt, I will be drafting Joan Duran, Georgie Lopez, and Alcala. Because what if they all get hurt? What if they get hurt? Did you hear me? Not understanding. What if they get injured? Anal analysts, analysts that. You got you nailed it, man. But yeah, what if they get hurt? My yeah, big time sleeper. I don't know if they're gonna bleep this out because I know this podcast bleeps shit out. My sleeper of the fucking year, Griffin Jacks. Griffin Jacks. Because what if they all get hurt? 
Did you hear that, boys? You said Griffin Jacks. And you know what? I'm going to head over to the city of uh, Angels and the Pittsburgh Pirates. We also got to stack the Bergians. okay? Get them bucks in your lineup. And we're talking about the Chan Ho Parks, the Hung Woo Kims, the, the Dae Woo Wans. We're going to get them into your lineup. We want to stack them buckos. Carlos Santana, the famous musician. Get them into your lineups and stack a tag. Oh, if I'm in the league with you, I know who I'm taking. I'm taking fucking Austin Hedges to break up that stack. <laughs> you do that to me, boy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick your ass right out, right out after Sunday. But uh, that's, yeah, that's all I got. What, you got anything else, Tommy Trifecta? I'm fucking out. See you, boys. Yeah, that was uh, ooh, terrible. Zach, are you there? What's going on? Welcome to the Draft Champions Podcast. We're here with uh, reliever recon. We got multiple of them. We got um, my good friend Greg Jewett and um, Dom bullpen guru. How you guys doing? Going on, Zach. What up, boys? Thanks for sitting through that. Thanks for tolerating that. Um, we find Greg Jewett at uh, G Jewett G J E W E T T nine, and then bullpen guru on Twitter. And then there's a rest. There's some of that. There's some, there's more of them that that aren't here. They might come in. But um, what's up, boys? Not much. Happy to uh, happy to be here. I know this is always the uh, the time of the year. My schedule gets busy with all the podcast things, so it's all good. And and I appreciate the, what you said uh, in our messages that uh, all of us here are more than just reliever people. But that's okay. Yeah, I got that. That's part of my uh, introduction. You're spoiling it, but um, <laughs> but Vlad said to be nice to you, so we're not gonna. Uh, I think um, Vlad Settler said on Twitter, "Don't be." Don't be mean to Greg. We love, we, we love Greg here. So he's been on the podcast before and Greg's a great guy. Mm -hmm. Dom and I talk all the time. So I'm, I'm glad to have you guys on. It's been too long, but you guys like, um, I don't see you guys just as like relief pitcher guys. You're not one trick ponies. It's sort of like James Anderson. Like people come, he comes on podcasts and people, all they ask him is, is prospect shit. So I'm trying to separate this into like three segments. One would be like, yeah, let's talk about relief pitching because you guys, that's that's what you do. And that's what you want to, we want to talk about the reliever recon Patreon that you have, which is awesome. I subbed to it last year and I did again this year. Um, and then we're going to sort of talk about part two is how to tie in the relief pitcher strategy to drafts. And then we're going to get into just general strategy after that. So there's really three phases of this podcast. Um, but um, let's get right into this again. Thanks Rick for, um, for that introduction. And thanks for, um, Sending everyone the token, everyone their tokens to get on the pod. Everybody's got their tokens. I, you know, welcome in Greg Jew and welcome in uh, Gru. So thank you, boys. And Bjorn's here. Yeah, Rick, I got my <clears throat> token a little late, but I am here. I have a headset for the first time ever, and this is kind of cool. I feel like I'm like a, a nine one one operator or a or a you know air traffic controller. This is great. I look forward to to listening to you all today. Christ. You look fantastic, Bjorn. Thank you. Fucking idiot. Looking, you're looking well. Okay, so uh, let's get right into it. Um, people don't people don't tune in to to hear this fluff. They want they want um, real um, fantasy stuff that can help them, and that's what that's what these guys are here for. So let's get into the relief pitching because um, we want to we do want to talk about relief pitching. Um, so I have six teams because I don't want to go through them all. Um, you guys are gonna, you're going to do your tour of podcasts, but six teams that. Um, I'm not going to ask you about Edwin Diaz or fucking Josh Hader because whatever, but some, uh, let, let's start with the angels. Um, a lot of people are into Carlos Estevez. They, they got Matt Moore, um, Dom and Greg, what are your thoughts on that, on that bullpen? And is it, is it one you want to target? 
Uh, it's going to depend, you know, as we all know, any room can go in different directions. Like in the draft I'm in right now, there was a uh, hot and heavy with relievers. Then there was kind of a lull. Um, and so now it's going to be a buying time as this progresses. Cause there's a lot of people that are, that there's still people convinced that you can punt starting or at least wait on starting pitching. And I just don't understand that. Uh, so I kind of zigged when the room zagged, uh, as far as this goes, I think, with the contract and everything that you, you see is that they're going to give Estevez a chance to get this job down. Um, I've more than one has said that Herget and Moore might have to do multiple inning outings, uh, you know, with those six man rotations and things of that nature. So, you know, horror will, excuse me, Moore will still get ancillary saves, but I, I just, I think the primary save share will be Estevez and they're going to just see, hopefully uh, the slider will play getting out of course full-time. Yeah. Um, I, uh, before we started, I said um, I have to interrupt because I'm on the clock and I'm almost running out in a DC. Daniel Bard, given that you guys are closer, he's fallen to round 11, pick 158. People are scared. And we're going to get, and this is sort of spoiling the segment we have on Velo, but people are scared of that Velo dipping, right? He's had two consecutive outings with uh, significantly reduced velocity. You see that mm -hmm. with a lot of um, closers or relief pitchers. Would you take a shot at him and I, like if if my closer my my first closer is um, Felix Bautista in this draft? Would you take a shot on Bard in round eleven? You can, but it depends on what your team need is. If you're going to take Bard, um, then you're probably going to be kicking. You know, especially in this DC, you're going to be kicking saves down the can. So um, you've got time to drift and let it happen. You know, if you don't want to force the issue, I, I don't. You know. The hard thing with me with Bard is, is that last year was as good as it's going to get. I mean, we, we have to anticipate he's going to be at 3.5 at best ERA. Uh, the whip's going to come up some. Uh, you know, the first outing, he said that he was rushed in his warm-up, so that's why the velo wasn't there. And then this time it was suddenly there's a hangnail with the thumb and the you know manager made an excuse for him. So hopefully there's nothing. The WBC should give us a better idea of his velocity. Uh, especially with the intensity. And I know it's hard to get jacked up to come into a third inning game in the Cactus League. So, you know, but we want to get him up towards 97 near the end of spring. I mean, again, you can take him and then you can get your backups with with Baker and uh, Denelson Lamette later on without having to spend a lot of draft capital. Yeah, that's a good thing about um, in, in DCs. Um, it, it does factor in for me um, how how costly those backups are going to be. So stacking that, stacking that team, I do. And I do like to do that. Some people don't like to, um, they, they don't, they don't find uh, it valuable to specifically target the handcuff strategy. Don, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on Bard at, at that cost? Just for perspective, um, not to really get into my team specifically, but um, my other option here would probably be Lazardo um, that I'm looking at as a starter or maybe Ian Happ. Um Paul Seawald is still available later. Um, my pitching staff is Strider, Javier, and Glasnow. And I took Glasnow knowing he was hurt. Um, yeah. And I already took a chance on him late. So I'm sort of going back and forth here between Bard and and Lazardo, probably. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the other thing with Bard, he mentioned um, just in terms of the pitch clock, um, serving as like a cardio workout he, he mentioned that in uh after his first outing where he was kind of rushed and only had five warm-up pitches and 
you know, I, I think you, it's really important to consider the fact that he's not, you know, half of his games are in Colorado. So, you know, high altitude, thin air, um, cardio workouts in general are, you know, more challenging in thin air. He's, he's like 37 or 38. So um, there's just a lot of reasons that I'm concerned on top of the velo, on top of, you know, hangnail and whatever else. And, um, you know, obviously we'll get more of a picture in terms of how he's doing, like Greg said, at the WBC. But I think, you know, strategy-wise, I think um, part of the reason why, you, you know, people take the early closers is so that it's something that they don't have to then immediately address in a subsequent round um, right away. You know, like I think the advantage of taking one of those top 10 closers is you don't really – have to dip back into the closer pool again until, you know, maybe the back 10 closers um, and you're still okay. Um, so, you know, given the fact that you already took glass now too, who's kind of an injury question mark and starting off injured. Um, I don't know, you know, it's, it's a risk tolerance thing. I mean, you can certainly build an advantage getting to early closers and, you know, barred slipping so much, you can kind of hop on that and really, because that's something I've noticed, at least in terms of DCs over the last couple months is like, everyone seems to kind of like to, uh, I, I call it play nice, where everyone just gets an early closer anchor, and then they get their one and then wait a bit until, you know, the mid-teens. So getting one can give you an edge over your competition in the league. I, I know you like barred, so um there's just more more things to be concerned about for me than than i think i'm willing to uh tolerate yeah i'm i'm in the middle of the draft i do like barton i do like drafting for value everyone that has to pick has a closer uh, that's going to pick between me and him so if, like you're playing nice strategy maybe maybe i do wait um but i do have to make my decision soon because i'm being a dick to this draft i'm almost timing out at this point so we'll move on, and um, I'll let you know so what I. This podcast so far has just been about you know Zach's draft. <laughs> Christ, what's up, Nate? What's up, fellas? How we doing? You got Nate here. So I don't know if you met everyone, but Nate, this is the team. Um, you got Bjorn um, on your bottom left, and you got Rick. Um, who's, you don't you can't see him, but Rick's here. He's he's our IT, and uh, he's doing a great job. If you need a token reset, just let him know. Yeah. Absolutely. No, yeah, Bjorn had some uh, fantastic relief pitcher uh, data for me, said don't take one. And uh, luckily I haven't got to round six, uh, round six yet in TGFBI to even worry about that. I guess I have, but I haven't got the <laughs> seventh pick yet. It's the uh, slowest draft in the history of mankind. Uh, Greg Guru, hey guys. Hello, Nate. Maybe yeah, yeah. I think you I think you brought up a great point. And we should it's this is not on the agenda, but we should probably talk about drafting relief pitchers in TGFBI. Um, it's, it's its own, it's its own strategy. So Bjorn, I think Bjorn, what, what was your strategy that you, um, that you have, that you'd like to employ from the TGFBI? I know you didn't get in again, but, um, um, go ahead. I believe the stat that, that my, uh, my team put out, um, was, uh, something about 60% of the saves being acquired on the wire and 50% of the people giving up on the wire after June. So that's where you can find your competitive edges later in the year. They're, they're, they're going to be out there. Thanks, Bjorn. All right. So let's get back. Let's get, let's get back into this. And uh... I, I just had one, one little question for Nate, 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 or, or, or uh, Mr. Bullpen guru, when you wanted to work for 
um, Greg, did you just kind of submit him a sampling of, of something you wrote? Is that how that worked? Is that how you joined the team? So, uh, actually with Greg, so Greg had joined Aaron Pags and I on numerous different, uh, I don't know, podcasts, just conversations in general, because we were doing the, our own reliever, uh, work beforehand. And, and we just, you know, I mean, you ain't going to be stupid and not try to involve Greg Jewett with any kind of bullpen conversations. And, and we meshed well, he, uh, wasn't, you know, we got along good. And then we kind of collaborated the idea. We just followed along Greg. He was like a lemming and we just jumped over the cliff with them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, you get superpowers together and you can, you can dominate that way. I just wanted to make sure I was sending my resume to the right place because I sent it to Greg and I never heard back. It was actually what I wrote was I thought it was a really thoughtful, insightful piece. It it related dogs to the relief market. So I have something like, you know, my golden relievers, just those kind of sexy old guys who get it done. Um, I have my husky boys, just the bigger guys who love the cold weather. And, you know, like Kenley Jansen, he's a husky. Um, you have your wolves. Uh, those are like dangerous dogs. Like do not draft a wolf uh, like Araldus Chapman, because, you know, he has, um, you know, a violent past and you don't keep a wolf as a pet. If You don't blame the wolf. If it bites someone, you, be, you blame the human for bringing the wolf into your home. Anyway, um, Greg, check out that article. Um, it's called golden relievers and other such dog related pitching. Um, back, back to you, Zach. Surprised he didn't say poodles, uh, little pansy that he is. Uh, okay. him as. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for the interlude or interludes. Um, let's go, let's move on to the Cardinals. Um, again, we just, uh, we touched on the angels before, uh, Cardinals. So Halsey's like regarded as a top 10 closer. People just assume he's the closer for good reason, but Gallegos is there. So like, it's sort of like one of those things where like it, the season ended with Halsey as the closer, but I don't know. Do any of your guts like say, maybe this is like, maybe we're just being overly confident with him because of, He's got amazing stuff, right? But that doesn't always uh, tell you everything. Uh, it's two parts for me. One is Gallegos has already admitted he's struggling with the pitch clock, even doing extra work on the side at camp. Um, he's one of the slowest workers in the majors. Uh, and Helsley really, in the second half, I think they understood what they had with him. I mean, he's always been a fantasy tease um, and, and Bjorn, I think it was because of your golden shower segment that I couldn't, you know, have you have you come on. But, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but anyways, back to Helsley. So it's it's just a matter of, you know, I think he had almost an 80 games finished percentage uh, in the second half. And he really took the he took the reins of that bullpen. And I, and I think the new manager, Marmel, saw that. I, I don't see him really straying from that unless an injury does pop up with Helsley going forward. Um, I think he'll be somebody that, you know, needs a week or two to get the get the velo back and under control. With Helsley, it's all about command. Is he throwing strikes? And that's what we want to see um, from him just moving forward. I think that's the main focal point. I think the bigger issue is if something does happen with Helsley, that that the Cardinals bullpen could get pretty thin pretty fast. And I know Nate can probably speak to that too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because the, the last, you know, I want to have happen is another Jordan Hicks experiment. As much as I love Jordan Hicks, I think we all kind of like him in our own sick, kind of crazy way, but it does. After uh, 
And Gallegos, like you said, Greg, is exactly right. That pitch clock is uh, extremely gotten under his skin a little bit because I think he, like you said, the fifth slowest worker in baseball or something to that effect. And I mean, he might get it right, but uh, Marmol much more than Schilt has been comfortable, you know, comfortable and confident and sticking with, with one guy and not doing that closer by, what was it we said? Closer, it was by, closer by calculation. Last calculation. Year. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's gone, but where are you guys takes on Helsley? I mean, right now where he's going, I mean, I he's think that's, up significant value personally i think where he's going it's like it's a it's a trade-off for me because he's going right around where jansen's going so it's like like jansen's not one of the guys we're talking about because it's that's an obvious thing you're just like that that's that's who that's who the red Sox are going to use but Mm -hmm. it's like skills versus role almost like kenley has a role until he really fucks it up but then (laughs) helsley if he might not he, he might be fine um and helsley has like elite elite skills but um, the role is a little bit less certain and he's a little bit less of a track record. So that's, that's always a question I'm asking myself, Jansen versus Helsley in these, in these drafts. I've taken them both. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Like, where do where do you guys lay on that spectrum? Kenley versus Helsley. Today I'll lean Helsley just because, uh, again, Jansen's another one with the pitch clock where, I was reading the thing where he said he he needs to get two hip swivels. I don't want to get Bjorn too excited, but two hip swivels to get ready to do his delivery. And that's where he got a little extra velocity. But, you know, with, he, Jansen's a big dude. It takes a lot of time to get everything, you know, going. Um, so I, I just don't know. Uh, it's And Boston is not as forgiving as other places he's been. I mean, those fans, a couple of blown saves in a row and – you know, it could it could go sideways fast. I just I was kind of out on Jansen last year, and I was wrong. Pags was Pags was on him, um, uh, so I'm willing to be wrong again. I, I would just go with Helsley based on what you said. I'll take skills over the um, reliability that Jansen's displayed all through these years. John, what do you what do you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with everything that the other guy said. I mean, I I've, I've found that even when in the range that Helsley's been going, I, I tend to want or need other things. So it's either I've already I've already paid up and gotten an elite closer, or I kind of wait um, a little while longer for like Kenley. I mean, Bautista's going a little later, but I don't know if that's going to continue if he shows he's healthy. Um, you know, um, I'll play the Mariners game. I'll I'll play the Rays game. So. I just I haven't I haven't landed on him, um, but I, I agree. I, I'm not super concerned um, that, barring injury, anything's going to really happen to Helsley. Yeah, I guess you aren't taking either of them because you're always taking one of two outfielders in that range. Yeah, um, Nate, what C about squared? You? One of them. That's that's one of the ones <laughs> I was thinking of. We'll bleep, we'll bleep that out. Um, <laughs> Nate, what about you? What, what, what do you say? C squared. Yeah, and you know I haven't got any of Helsley yet, but also a little behind on uh, drafting compared to uh, some of you guys is for sure. But the one thing I've noticed is as soon as I look at Helsley, that drop off to me afterwards is, is the question mark. I I really like David Bednar. I don't know if I like the opportunity for how many wins he might see in front of him. Uh, You know, after that, then it feels like I'm just kind of wading through the blah pool. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's who I want to make as my as my one, but I've got, you know, realistically, I have an advantage in that I have 
you know, these three guys, four guys telling me who to do. And so waivers throughout the season becomes in, inherently easier for me than it does for others who uh, might not have some of the inside that but they don't have Greg, you know, I get, I get Greg to basically help me through the year. Cool. Um, let's talk about the Yankees um, next. Clay Holmes. Like, I think the only reason he's really going where he's going is because of the injury concern. Um, and some of the comments you've, you've heard, uh, Boone has alluded to him not getting all the saves, um, but also he did end the year injured in the playoffs. They weren't really – like, they weren't using him like the true closer that he that people are drafting him as because it was sort of weird and ominous how he was being used in the playoffs. What are your thoughts, uh, start with Greg, on Holmes and that, that whole bullpen in New York? Yeah, I read the same comments you did by Aaron Boone, um, basically saying that you know there's going to be situations. So if if Bichette and Vlad Jr. are coming up in the eighth inning, then it's going to be Holmes, especially because his struggles are against left-handed batters. Um, so that opens up a pathway for um, other people to get saves in those situations. Um, yeah. I want to know how they're going to use Michael King because I don't know if he can do multiple inning outings like he did last year. That's what led to his breakdown. If they make Michael King a one inning reliever, um, I think he arguably has the best stuff on that on in that bullpen. So um, he would be my person, you know, as the season progresses that if anything does happen with Holmes or, or whatever, that would be who I key on. Like, I don't mind Loiska. He throws hard, but he's almost like, um, Hicks, whereas the command's not always there and he just doesn't have big swing and miss stuff. And you need that in those highest leverage situations. So, uh, and Wandy Peralta is going to grab, you know, five, six, seven saves during the year. He's going to love that pitch clock. I don't know if you saw him today, but he was just 20 the ball and throwing it. Yeah. Yeah. Just bang, bang, bang. So, um, that's how I view the Yankee bullpen. Like I had a chance to take Holmes in the draft. I was just in, but I was just a little tepid. I mean, it's nothing against him. I think he can still get 25 saves. I just don't know if he has the ceiling that other people do. And, and for what he's going to do as far as strikeouts and whatnot, I can get that from another reliever about a hundred picks later. So it's like, I don't feel forced to have to get him. Right. Who wants to go on uh, the Yankees next? Uh, Nate, let's talk to you. What do you, what do you say? I mean, I followed exactly what like Greg was saying. The only name that has intrigued me was Loisaga as far as who could take it. And, you know, I, I think carry the bulk of what we would look for in, in New York. But King does have the dominating stuff like uh, like Greg was alluding to. But I just I find myself getting to that Clay Holmes range and wanting to take him. And, and I find myself just waiting because exactly like you said, I think I can kind of get some of the similar stats a little bit later and not have that little concern on my shoulder. Just, you know, tell me not to do it. Right. Dom. Yeah. I mean, I, I was looking, I think control is a big thing for Holmes and just getting like, you know, if you look at like his swing and miss stuff in the first half compared to the second half, obviously impacted by the injury um, one would assume, but if he can get swings and misses on, you know, his thinker and slider back, I, I, you know, I think I would be okay given the fact that um, it seems like uh, Boone wants to have him get a majority of the, you know, saves and he's obviously on a good team. Um, so it's like, you know, he he's going at a point where he's gone after a few kind of 
question marks, at least in drafts that I'm seeing. He kind of goes after Doval. He goes after Bautista. He goes after Jansen. So it's like, you know, if if you've missed those guys and you need a closer, he's on a good team. He's done it before. And if you're comfortable with what you've seen from spring training in terms of how he's looking with the sinker and slider, I think I think you can go there. So yeah, that, um, but, gives you, that gives you an opportunity to buy an outfielder in that in that range, the four or five range, like the guy you always want, like like Buxton, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Diamondbacks. <laughs> you okay, Rick? Yeah, go ahead. You got the D bags. Yeah, uh, D bags. I actually didn't even put the guy that might be the the the, the answer on the on the on the outline, but I have Shapin, Mantiply, Melanson, but there's also Castro there too. I realized. Um, yep. So Greg, what what do you what do you like? This one's just like you can almost get like these guys all post like pick five hundred almost in the mm-hmm. in the draft. So if you want to spend four picks after five hundred and and D bag closers, then like you might fall into twenty five saves on your on your starting lineup at some point. Yeah, it's it, I mean the manager um, he prefers having one guy. Uh, however, you know. We, we just can't guarantee who it is. Now, I'm hoping that um, Castro can follow a similar path that um, Ryan Presley did working with Brett Strom. You know, Presley Presley came from Minnesota with some of the same things. He was a stuff guy, but the command wasn't always there. He didn't trust some of his some of his pitches. And then Strom got him to streamline his, his everything. And then Presley took off. Uh, I think Castro has the stuff. I mean, he's got the fastball velocities. I think it's 96 percentile. Um, he has a good changeup. So he, he has the capability to do this. Can he stay healthy? And can he throw strikes? Um, they brought in McGowell from uh, the MPB. Now he's got a splitter, um, increased his velocity out there. He closed a bunch of games like Robert Suarez. Um, we just don't know how long it's going to take him to adapt, just like Suarez. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I'll i wait for later for the other guy that I think could be a sleeper as the year goes on. But, um, you know, I'm okay taking Castro, but I don't want to – I'm not going to throw five darts here. You want to throw two, that's fine. Um, I just think Chafin will be a left-handed matchup guy. Uh, and even though he can't get righties out, that's just my take on, on this bullpen. After spring training, I'd probably be more willing to dip my um, toe in the water. Um, or if something happens in the next couple of weeks, somebody separates from the pack, then you can grab them late. This could almost be like the bar thing last year in spring training where he established himself near the end. And then the manager kind of kind of said, this is going to be my guy. But it was uh, at a point where most people were not paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, for, uh, yeah. Like I, I don't I just hate taking two darts in a D.C. when there's mm-hmm. four targets. That could be right. Well, I'm like, I feel like it's kind of a waste because I don't know enough about the situation at this point. Like, I'd rather, like, I'd rather take someone else on a different team that I think maybe has like a thirty or forty percent chance of earning that role at some point than taking two guys that might end up with like giving me giving me nothing. Like, they're, yeah. they're just two. I'd rather, I'd rather not have two complete wasted picks. Like, I know, I granted, like, there's a chance that you hit on one of them, but then. I'd rather two guys that like can give me some more upside and and win and help me in other ways. Yeah, I mean it's funny. So I, you know, Zach, you sent you sent the uh, the listing of names over, and um, you know, rule of thumb that I have is like if I'm between a, a pitcher on you know two pitchers on a team for save, and it's lefty and a righty, 
I always lean with the righty unless there's like, you know, overwhelming reasons why like they don't strike anybody out or, you know, they throw, they throw like 92. Um, but I, I put, I wrote, like I made some notes and what I put was I kind of hate everyone here. And I've been taking Miguel Castro late. He has a good slider and a good changeup, just needs a fastball. His sinker got barreled last year, like 20% of, you know, his, uh, balls hit on it were barrel so like and and you know greg and i didn't talk about this but yeah brent like i was thinking like if brent strom just develops a fastball gets with him, him gets him like, to throw get those, yeah. throw those two pitches more in the sinker yeah. less then it, then it makes it more effective absolutely yeah. you just yeah he needs he needs strom's brain to change to unlock his arsenal yeah and i mean he was good on the mets like two years ago um wasn't as good on the yankees last year i was kind of frustrated when the mets made that trade to trade him away um but he didn't have a great year but you know i think i think he has the stuff he's he's got like a i don't know like a 20 percent swing strike rate on a slider and like a i think it's like 18 percent on his change up so he's got the stuff just needs a fastball so um and he's really like really cheap i think i've been getting i was getting him like the 40s so um he's a guy that you can get cheap right now that um i i think is worth a dart cool um I just I forgot to read um some quotes I found on on these and you, you probably read this as you probably saw this as well but Steve Gilbert or no sorry Steve Gilbert reported Mike Hayes and the GM on the on the Diamondback says where our bullpen where our bullpen was I don't think we're going to hand over slots or spots to anyone at this point outside of guaranteed major league deals there's going to be a competition to see who's going to be in there that's just talking about the bullpen in general but I think I did read that they wanted to be one person um. Now, Nate or anyone else that hasn't chimed in, like, I also, like, I think I heard something about Ryan Nelson potentially being having closer stuff. Is there any legs to that? Because people are drafting him to be a starter, and he, he had a great couple starts at the end of the year, and he throws hard. Um, any any inkling on him potentially grabbing saves as, like, a dual, as a dual, like, um, path to path to value guy? I th- I think the more likely of, of the options there is uh, your boy, Dre Jameson. I, I think like Nelson's like six, five. And like, you know, I was looking at uh prospect reports and stuff like that from like J- Jameson small, he throws hard. Um, you know, there was always kind of concerns about if he would hold up as a starter long-term. Um, so I could see a situation where he doesn't make, the rotation out of spring training. They want to keep him on the roster. They have him pitching out of the pen. He's lighting it up and he kind of just ascends the ladder. So I think of the two, he's the one that has the possibility of kind of pivoting to the bullpen and doing really well there as opposed to Nelson. But um, I I think it's definitely a possibility for both Um, because Nelson has like really good fastball and not much else. And I don't know if his arsenal is that of a starting pitcher long term, but um, other people seem to think it is. But he throws his fastball like nine or he throws his fastball like sixty five percent of the time. It's it's really weird. I don't think he trusts the secondary stuff, so I don't know if that really works as a starter long term. I'm a big fan of um, Jameson's off the field stuff. Yeah, I don't know if you guys. I, I'm aware. Yeah, off the field. Yeah, no, you did look follow look, check him out on Instagram or whatever. He's still he's still gonna authorize me, but um he's not letting me 
he's he's gone private, but yeah, I know he's got a, he's got some good photos up there. Check him out. Um, so yeah, um, Nate, did you talk, did you um, give your opinion in the, on the D bags yet? I don't think there's enough of an opinion to warrant any response necessarily because at the end of the day, I wouldn't be. I really wouldn't be shocked in the least if we have to say Mark Melanson's name again in, in some capacity. And, and Sammy. I, that's just yeah. gross. And that, and that's where, you know, I would rather almost just like you said, I'd rather save my darts for different situations personally. But you're right, you know, I mean, that's how you, you gain those eight, nine, ten save edges whenever you when you do hit. But it's hard to hit when you th- have to throw five. Yeah. yeah the thing is, are you going to have them active when it hits? You know, that's that's the other part. He's exactly. probably going to be on the bench that week, and then you're like, oh, crap, I'm going to put him in, and you get a, a three-run implosion. Right. Um, let's just, in the interest of time, let's move on to the yep. Royals. Um, let's talk about them. The I think the manager said the bar, that Scots are our closer for now. So you, you got to be careful uh, when you read these quotes, I find, and you, you got to have you got to take the, uh, the correct context with them. Because you, you'll hear, if you read the quote, somebody – posting it on Twitter, they'll say, the manager says Scott Barlow is the closer. And you're like, okay, I'll take it for, I'll take it um, at face value. However, if you did listen to that interview, he went, he droned on a little bit before that. And he, he started humming and hawing a little bit. And then he's like, well, Scott is our closer. But like, he, he, like it sort of like felt like, yeah, he's our closer now, but like, you don't know what's going to happen. Like you have the, you have the wolf in there, right? As Bjorn would like to refer to him as. The, the role of Chapman. So, Greg, what are your thoughts on that situation? Can we even talk about Chapman? Sorry, I don't want to impose on you. No, like, I don't care. I, okay. Um, the thing for me with Barlow is, is you know, he he did well last year, even though his fastball was not very good, uh, and he was working two miles per hour below what he had the season before. Um, this year, he's supposedly adding a two seam to help give him a little different look. Uh, Kansas City would be absolutely bananas after what they've been doing this offseason not to trade him. I mean, you you if you want to use him as the primary save share the first couple of months and then deal him to a contender, they have to. I mean, if you're going to be committed to this rebuild, I, I, I think, you know, so I don't mind taking Barlow. However, I'm not going to be pushing him up anywhere just because I anticipate him getting dealt to be a setup reliever elsewhere. Um, and I was out on Chapman last year, and that remains the same. I just his command issues and just worry the hell out of me. He's again, he might get you a couple of saves here and there, and then there's going to be that implosion that just blows up your whip. Yeah. So you might be in on the guy that we're talking that we'll talk about later. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dom, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I wouldn't be surprised if Barlow's traded before opening day to like Dodgers or something like that. I, I, I truly wouldn't be surprised if that happened. And then secondarily, like Chapman, even best, case scenario Chapman comes in and regains form and is getting saved and getting strikeouts and not walking you know the park he's going to get traded too because they're rebuilding so what are you paying for you're paying for a half a year of of a closer on a not a a good team so uh I just uh, prefer to avoid altogether two thoughts on that one if Barlow got traded to the Dodgers that could be amazing for him um in that particular (laughs) Mm -hmm. situation and two no one really wanted Chapman. I don't know if his trademark is going to be that hot. Regardless, he might have. You might have like three people that uh, might be interested in him in the trade deadline. One of them is the Marlins were interested in him to begin with, and he and he chose the Royals over them. But Marlins aren't going to be a buyer at the deadline either. So you got to make sure, like how many buyers are going to be interested in Chapman at the deadline. 
That's what I'm thinking. I don't think too many. Mm-hmm. You might have, yeah. you might have two, uh, two people that might be um, trying to make a deal with you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more likely that he is a disaster than he yeah. re- regains his form and it is valuable enough to get traded. So um, yeah. All right, let's go to uh, Nate. Uh, for for oh. our listeners out there, when uh, when the bullpen guru speaks about a possible trade of Scott Barlow, um, you're going to want to listen. He uh, accurately predicted um, Hunter Renfro and uh, Colton Wong being traded just a mere mere day or two before it happened. So um, listen to the oracle. Um, sorry for interrupting, Zach. Nate, no problem. Nate, what do you think? I need to ask. I just, oh. just need to ask real quick. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Gru, are you – and, uh, you know, set a little bet for me and my buddies here. But uh, are you the Gru – from uh the despicable the, the minion thing are you the uh are you that grew <laughs> no but are you are you a big fan of despicable me rick well my children watched it when they were little babes and yeah it's always if i had to pick a kid's movie i'd either be between that or uh bambi i just have a soft spot for that soft, one, what, but, uh, wait, did you just refer to your kids as little babes Sure. Yeah, when they were, uh, yeah, the little when okay. they were little. That's fine. Ones. No, that's fine. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just wondering. So, yeah, yeah. Nate Chapman. Oh, yeah, we, you know, we <laughs> hated Chapman so much. It was, it was kind of uh, <laughs> serendipitous finally last year by the end of the season because we got more pushback collectively, I think, from a group because mm-hmm. we all were in the same uh, boat that Chapman was going to just not be worth it. And you know, I'm not one to take receipts. I might, I'm one to keep receipts. And so that was probably the highlight. So I want him to, I mean, I don't think the problem with Chapman is it wasn't the pressure of, you know, New York. It was in between his ears. And I don't know if going to Kansas City is going to change that altogether anyway. And we watch him, you just watch him implode. You can see it happening. And there's no rebound, like those guys said, uh, both trade bait necessarily. You mentioned you'll talk about someone maybe on the Royals later. And so uh, I'll leave it at that. Right. And um, okay, before we get into the dog pound that Rick has prepared, it's coming up in a second. We'll go with one last team. I know we're sort of running late on time, but Cubs, um, Greg, um, Boxberger, Hughes, Fulmer, Alzale. We, we won't mention the guy that everyone's creaming their pants over for like basically no reason, but. Um, well, it's because he was in an article by, Eno. I, I I don't take back what I said. <laughs> uh I, I want it to be Alzali, but I have no idea what the coach are gonna do. If I'm picking it from a from that standpoint, I if I'm throwing one dart here, it'll be on him. And then if it's not him, it's binary. If it's not him when the first couple of weeks of the season, I can drop him and move on to somebody else. Yeah, At least that's easy. It's binary. You're non-binary. <laughs> oh boy. All right, Dom, what do you think? Yeah, I'd go Alzelay. He kind of bought into pitching out of the bullpen for them. Like, he he was obviously a starter, um, wanted to start, but they wanted him to pitch out of the pen. He kind of bought in, so I could see them kind of rewarding him with uh, some saves as long as he keeps continuing to do well. Um, Hughes is the only lefty in that pen, so that's why I'm not so high on him. I don't think Fulmer's that good. I don't think Boxberger's that good, but it's kind of messy, so I I would – prefer to avoid it altogether, but um, I have some spares of Alzelay, um from early draft season or early draft champion season early on, but um, kind of getting a little too pricey now. 
Yeah, same here. And he's sort of mm-hmm. the, the rotation is too busy for him anyway. So that sort of gives you comfort that he's not going to be a starter at least. Yeah, his role, yeah, his role is going to be sort of binary. Not, no, he's not non-binary. Nate, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with uh, he. Uh, they, I guess, is the right thing I'm supposed to say. I agree with they or them being Greg and uh, Guru or Gru. So yeah, so is there, is on par. Their pronouns. Yes, yes. Greg, we, Greg and Dom, or they are they to me. I don't know what they are to each other, but they're, as they're, far as I'm concerned, they they are they or them. Well, both are the, intertwined. In this conversation, I'll call them them. You can call them, them fair. You're you're, okay. you're calling the day. I'll call them them. Okay. Sounds like it's a fluid situation. <laughs> it is very fluid. Like the Chicago Cubs uh, ninth inning rule could potentially be fluid as the season goes on. Hey, segue. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we go ahead and get into um, part two of this uh, chat um, um, relating the closer strategy in draft, we have a segment from Rick Poundstone, RIT manager. It's called the Dog Pound. And um, in the dog pound, he, he, he's just, he, the floor is open to him. All right. That is correct. What the fuck? Excuse me. Welcome into the dog pound. This is Rick Poundstone. I'm happy to be back here on the Draft Champion on Z's podcast. And I got a set. I got a beef. Oh, yeah. I got a real beef with a lot of these fantasy basketball podcasts that I've been listening to this offseason in preparation for the 2023 season. Follow me for auction tips. I am at Rick Poundstone. So number one, this wish casting term. <laughs> okay, it, these guys saying it, and I've heard it, you know, the Jason Masons and the Pauly Shores and the, you know, the Bob Slivers and all these guys saying this, excuse me, this wish, this wish casting term, they're using it so often. Are you trying to hit a quota, boys? Okay. Is somebody paying you to make sure that you say the term wish casting enough? Can we get, let's, let's ditch the wish casting. Number two, and I have a beef with this term, this yellow brick road. Okay, and I understand that what they're referencing when they say this is, oh, you take a whole bunch of pictures and on the NFC site or whatever, it's the color yellow. Okay, well, I want to caution you because this fantasy basketball community, I know they're into the woke stuff and I know they want to make sure that they don't say anything wrong. Well, keep mind you, the Wizard of Oz movie. Okay, if we're talking about yellow brick roads, these dwarves. Or uh, midget, or you know, I don't know the correct term or anything like that. But there, there, there's many rumors, and I've looked at the Reddit forums and the 4chan forums. I know that the dwarves on that movie were in some way abused, and I don't know, you know, exactly how or anything. But I just, you know, caution you to be careful when you throw around terms like yellow brick road. You don't know who you're offending. And that's all I want to say about that. And finally, can we please call it with the salary cap draft? Okay, it's an auction. All right. Salary cap already is a thing. That's a different kind of draft. It's already been done time and time again. It's called an auction draft. If you're one of the people out there that by saying the the phrase auction draft, you think that that means that, yes, you actually are going to receive, you know, um, the, the Ramon Laureano's birth certificate and his social security number, maybe even a little voodoo doll of him. Uh, you know, you own his being and you get to poke it and prod it and do whatever you want. No, you're owning a player's stat sheet in a fucking, excuse me, in a game. 
Okay, if you can't separate those two things, then, you know, you might need to go back to elementary school. That's it. This has been the Dog Pound. No intro, no outro music. We're good. We're done. I'm playing it. Maybe it's not coming across. Oh, no, it's not coming across. Turn off the music. Dad, shut up. Okay. Well, thanks, Rick. And you got Rick Jr. there, too? (laughs) Yeah, he's. Can you get outside? I just go help out your mother with the damn bricks. Fucking piece of shit. Okay, sorry. Back to you, boys. All right, thanks, Rick. That was that was great. Um, really enjoyed the dog pound as usual. Um, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic, you. fantastic work. Uh, you know what? I actually, I actually have a beef with the fantasy baseball podcasting a little bit too, and I, I didn't plan on bringing it up, but you sort of reminded me. People that listen to podcasts are getting kind of snobby. They're 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 complaining about like your audio quality, like Zach. Like it sounds like you're in a tin can. It's like, oh, this guy coughed and he didn't mute himself. Like the Zola. Tin man. Todd Zola farted and he didn't mute it. So, but like, honestly, all I care about is the actual content of the podcast. Like, I like if I sound like I'm in a tin can, but I'm producing, like I'm giving you relevant advice, like who gives a shit? Like, are you that much of a fucking podcast snob to like complain about coughs and echoes and farts? Like I've had it with those people. Just I'm, We're trying to put up a, a podcast with great content, like Rick and his dog pound. And people are just, Focusing on the wrong things. Anyways, we need to continue. We need to continue. And this is a game called Who's Number Two. This is, and some 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 bullpens where we presume there's a number one, yeah, but there's a sort of fluid or ambiguous or non-binary um, uh, aspect of the number two situation. Let's go to Atlanta. They traded for Jimenez, but they have Minter. We got a couple of saves last year. If and, we, and you know we, we the uh, podcast opened with what if somebody gets hurt, and that's a valid piece of analysis. Like, what if what if the starting running back gets hurt? No one thinks about what could happen after that. Like, no, like no one is possibly smart enough to think that is something that could that could possibly happen. But in Atlanta, what if Rice Iglesias gets hurt? Is it Minter or Jimenez? I think they'll go Jimenez just because mm-hmm. they need Minter to match up with lefties when they want. They can almost share it if that was the case. But as as Dom alluded to earlier, um, you lean with the right-handed side. Yeah, Dom. Minter's very good. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't think it'll matter much. I think you're kind of just trying to, you know, you're, you're trying to grasp at every straw possible to, to, you know, take Iglesias out of being a top five closer because, uh, you know, he said that people were stupid for for drafting him <laughs> early in draft season. So, <laughs> um, so I put in my notes. I said it won't matter. Iglesias is a top five closer, but uh, yeah, I would lean with Jimenez. They're very similar if you look at their stats from last year, like. Both throw a lot of strikes. Don't you know? Don't get behind. Um, get very similar uh, swing strike rate. So um, yeah, I would I would say Jimenez as long as he continues to perform like he did last year. All right, Nate. Uh, three for three in agreement. Uh, right. They don't have much in lefties outside of Lucas Lukey, to be honest. All right, let's just, let's keep with, let's keep on with you, Nate. Let's go into Houston though. Everyone um, is drafting Montero, and I think his ADP is artificially high because there were some drafts going on before he resigned. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, and he is one of those guys that sort of is hanging around in these drafts. If you're doing a lot of DCs, passes ADP. But there's also Brian Abreu, who's been very good. Who do you like between those two if you're in a draft Champions League? Because I don't think you're I'm probably not drafting them in a fab league. You might, yeah. They, they, they still, those guys are going, but 
I don't know. Yeah, you like it's late. I, I'm going to go with Montero just because, you know, kind of been there, done that, at least in some capacity. Uh, doesn't see – I'm hoping Presley stays uh, upright, but, I mean, if there's one bugaboo, that, that's been it. That, you know, was it been the knee and groin? Just the knee. I don't, I don't have it. Greg, you probably have it in front of you. I'm sure the the voodoo doll of Ryan Presley. Well, no. doll. I like Presley. Um, uh-huh. You know, I, I think they will use Montero. I'm, and people are just seeing the 13 saves from last year, and that's why they're taking Montero, thinking he's going to give them, you know, I can get double-digit saves at this point in the draft. Why not? Uh, you know, Presley probably will spend one stint on the IL, especially participating in the WBC uh, the, the only th- I love Abreu, I mean, as it's stuff, Abreu is better than Montero right now. Um, just on stuff doesn't mean that will translate. Uh, but there was the report from Peter Gammon saying that the Houston might stretch him out, um, as the season progresses to multi innings and things of that nature. So if they did something of that ilk, especially if McCullers, um, is out for an extended time that, that could, um, that, that could swing Abreu into that sort of a role where he would be, uh, he would almost. He, he could take on like a strider, a strider type transformation during the season if they did that with him. Well, that's an insightful comment, Dom. Yeah, I, was, I never thought, I I never thought put, about it that way. Yeah, I put in my notes that you know they were they were talking about potentially moving him to um, stretch out to become a starter. So if they're if they were to have a couple of injuries in their rotation, um, that could be a possibility. I think I think when he came up a, uh, a couple of years ago, he was pitching multi inning. Um, relief and uh, he kind of caught my eye then um, last year obviously I think you know being a single inning reliever stuff really played up so um, now it's kind of you know bridging the gap and taking the stuff and kind of stretching it over multiple innings and seeing if that can hold so we'll see but uh, yeah Montero for me. Cool. Um, Matt let's start with you Dom. Ottavino or Robertson? I think people, um, assume, I, people assume it's Robertson. I guess I don't know. It's really yeah, the feeling I get. Yeah, I think I think it's. I, I initially said Ottavino because I remember in the playoffs last year they were kind of using Diaz when he they needed him, um, and kind of letting Ottavino take the ninth whenever they did use Diaz in that role. But I think it's going to be really fluid. I, I think um, you know the way they built that team, it's kind of allowing Buck to. Um, pick his spots so it'll probably just be whoever uh, hasn't pitched either mm-hmm. the night before or earlier in the game between Ottavino and Robertson um, I think Robertson will kind of be held for later in the game um, just that's how he is by nature he, he really is a one-inning guy Ottavino I think could go across two innings um, so they might use him earlier in the game sometimes but I think it's just going to be really fluid so I've taken Ottavino in like round 40 and beyond he's for some reason, he's been there, um, and the reason for that was just because we've seen Diaz usage kind of change a bit as the season went on last year. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be really, really fluid. I don't think either one is going to have much more than maybe you know a handful of saves unless an injury were to happen. Right on. Does anyone else yeah. want to comment? I mean, the only reason I could see you know, an agreement with uh, with Adovino is Robertson uh, against both righties and lefties has, you know, sub 200 average against. So I, I could see them using Robertson and definitely more more that I 
we say the high leverage roles, more of the setup roles and letting out of, you know, just simply have the knife if something happens to Diaz, which we don't hope. Is he supposed to pitch back-to-back games in WBC? Is that something that... Well, that's uh, been a hot Twitter thing today. You right. know, after they said that, I looked it up, and Diaz only had 12 back-to-backs last year. So they really managed him um, more than we think. So it's a viable question that, that Zach put forth because, and, and as Don was saying, I think you can see both of these guys grab five or six each, which has its value in deeper leagues or a league-only format. Uh, so you can't leave them off of your uh, cheat sheet if you're doing those sorts of things. But I don't think one guy would be the guy all the time because if Robertson pitches the eighth and Diaz gets the ninth and the next day it could be out of Vino because they want to rest the two of them and then vice versa. So it, I think that just remains based on who's fresher. All right, let's move on to the second part of uh, the segment um, of the of this podcast. I know we're running late, so we're trying to get the, the show on the road. Um relating relief pitchers into overall strategy. So we're trying to tie the two together now. Um, where do you target the closers when you're doing the drafts? Are you like, in what range do you target the closers? Um, I guess I can tie this into another question that I had later is like, where is the largest opportunity cost? Because that would sort of answer both questions. Um, like in the top tier, like where do you want to stay? Away? I guess maybe the, where do you want to, the better question is where do you want to stay away from the closers? Like the top tier, the top two, or like the rounds three and three to five range, or like the homes to Barlow range, or like the later range. Where do you think you're passing up the most value otherwise in in these drafts so far? I mean, the, the uh, top tier, considering where they're going. Sorry, I, you go right ahead. Go. Yeah, yeah. So I, I uh, yeah, I'll I'll go quick. Um, so yeah, I think I think the the riskiest part is that kind of peripheral and risky tier so like the seven to round 15 closures reason being is like if you take one in that range so say you take like look clerk or seawald in round 11 you're not feeling like 100 percent confident that you have like even 30 saves in the bag so you probably end up trying to grab another one in relatively short order, whether it's like Alex Lang or, you know, somebody in the Dodgers bullpen or Finnegan or something like that. Um, so you're, you're using like two kind of mid range draft picks where I think there's a lot of, you know, valuable players there. I think there's a lot of pieces that you can add to your team, whether it's a third outfielder or, you know, a fourth starting pitcher that you're kind of passing up in order to kind of cover yourself in terms of saves. So, you know, for me, I'm drafting closers early. I'm drafting one anchor early and then um, going from there. So, like, you know, round two, if the top, like, 20 hitters that I have are gone, um, I'll pop one of those top two, three closers um, and just get it squared away. I, I call it taking my, you know, just taking your medicine. I just do it, and it then you don't have to worry about any of these situations we've been talking about the whole podcast. All right. And Greg, and just want to remind everyone to subscribe to Reliever Recon. So Reliever Recon, just in a minute. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate the uh, the, the plugs, plugs. But, um, and appreciate you coming back. But I I am okay <clears throat> anywhere. And as, as uh, Dom alluded to, I call it an anchor or a guy where you draft them and think you're going to get 30 saves, or at least you're planning on it. And then after that, I kind of just adapt to whatever the room's doing now. Uh, of course, I'm not scared of chasing saves. So if if the prices like in a draft I'm in right now, the 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 top of the reliever market went a little 
overvalue. So I just let it drift and was I zigged and got starting pitching. Um, so I will be spackling together relievers, but I'm not scared to do that. And you have to play to your strength. I mean, as Dom said, if you don't want to be playing the fob game all year, then take your medicine, get one of your one of your guys, and then you just grab the other stuff as it happens. So, you know, I'll, I'm going to be quick so we can wrap this up. But that's that's kind of my overarching strategy. And then I'll grab a couple of darts at the end game. And again, same thing. If they if they get saves, that's great. And if not, I drop them and move on to the next guy. Nate. Yeah, it, you touched on the uh, the one thing you said is opportunity cost, and the the largest opportunity cost that you would give up would be on that elite tier, and and I know what you know I'm saying as far as that top twenty offense. If they're not there, you pivot maybe to to relief pitching, but I would rather stay in that fifth sixth round, which is what I've seen of someone in that uh, Devin Williams Iglesias ilk, and and you know I consider that an anchor just as much. I mean, at the state of mm-hmm. saves right now, it's. Uh, it's not that far fetched to go there and then, you know, a couple darts late. For me, it's like, it's, it's sort of a trade off between build or your, your builder boy. Like, are you a builder boy drafter? Like, are you going to go with a build? I'm going to get my anchor um, closer or relief pitcher, no matter what uh, is available. Or if like some say something's available that um, in another, let may say it's a starting pitcher or an outfielder or another, another position player are the, if they're there, when you plan on taking a closer, do you, um, adapt and change your course in the course of the draft. And Mm -hmm. I'm more of a boy than a build guy. And if somebody's there, that will, that will, um, that will dictate what I do more, more so. Um, Build a bear. Bjorn, are you a build or a boy guy? I'm a a, a build guy. See, you don't, you don't stray. No. Okay, well, speaking of not straying, I don't think we should stray from this segment. Um, do you have an inside Bjorn Masterson inside you segment? What what are you what are you calling it these days? Um, Dr. Masterson inside you. It's just where I talk to our guests and everyone gets to learn a little bit about them. And I wanted to share with the world that um, you know, since 1993, he's been known as the bullpen guru but we're finally going to get him back to his um his origin story um i first met him in 1990 um the first turtles movie um and last saw him in the 1993 movie turtles in time i'm talking of course about um dom morello how are you doing dom i'm I'm doing well bjorn yeah, that, that's good. And are you, um, Damarello, are you the only one of the four brothers that plays fantasy baseball? I, I believe so, yeah. Okay, and then how did you decide on the bow staff? Um, it, it was just kind of given to me by uh, Master Splinter. Okay, yeah. So um, we'll talk a little bit about our upcoming um autobiography of um Damarello. it's called tur tale um shell of good time um i helped him write it and i think it's gonna be really um really top-notch stuff zach um this next portion it is contain a little bit of sensitive um material you might want to 
um, put this behind something so that the younger viewers don't listen to it. But um, the reason that Dom went into hiding uh, Damarello is people were very uncomfortable with your uh, relationship with the, the human woman, April O'Neil. Um, are you finding that people are more uh, accepting of that in 2023? And is that, that what um, led you to come back out onto the scene? Yeah, absolutely. Much, it's, it's a much more tolerant culture these days. That is fantastic. And that is why I also wanted to give a shout out to um, your and April's son, um, Tyler. Um, I think he should be celebrated. We always celebrate when there's a female referee the first time uh, or anything like that in the sport. Um, Tyler O'Neill is the first half human, half turtle to play Major League Baseball. And I'm so excited that Damarello's offspring is doing that. Um, if you've seen his muscles or his butt muscles, normally those are under the shell, but that is clearly the turtle part. That That's all from his dad. So I just, I love that. Um, Tyler, you are loved. Um, I wanted to say that um, in English. And also, um, as your father's people would say, uh, and this has been Dr. Masterson inside of you. Thank you, Domarello. Thanks, Bjorn. It's fantastic. Okay, so main event saves. Um, la last year, well, 2021, the year before last year, um, in the main event, there were, um, on average, 799 saves per league. So of the amount of saves that, um, of the 1,191 total saves in the MLB, 799 were, uh, were in your starting lineup uh, on average. Next year, there was only 740 compared to the 799 in starting lineups on average in the main event. However, there were more saves overall across the, the majors. Um, saves are somewhat static, um, but it looks like the saves per team are basically they're they're getting harder to collect. Um, so this would lead you to, this would lead one to maybe say take closers early because um, there's only a few of them with the locked in role common thing people have said however if you also look at starter wins over that course of time they've declined a lot so there's a trade-off here are we focusing on getting what's more important to you getting that locked in emmanuel class a or getting an ace for me it's an ace right now yeah why well, because hey i'm more comfortable chasing saves in fab i mean it's just something i have to do and then B, I, I don't want to be streaming or trying to look two weeks ahead at, for some random guy to have a two-week start and a main event and he, gets, and he gets blown up. I mean, I don't want to sacrifice those ratios. Um, you know, I'm playing my first main event this year. I won my qualifier last year. And uh, I, I'm not going to be, you know, I, I'm whoever's going to be in my draft or whatever. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm willing to play the save game, whereas other people are going to pay up for it. And I hope they do that because then I can do the same thing and, and take a couple of uh, good good starters and build a base that way. And anybody, you know, you and I and everyone in this chat knows that the starting pitching prices in two weeks from now are going to be completely different. That's right. So, but I, I think a lot of these answers uh, for the people that are listening are format dependent. So you mm -hmm. talk about chasing saves and fab. DCs are such a different, it's it's hard to, it's yes. difficult to have this conversation because it's such a different ball game in in, mm -hmm. in all these contests. Would you would you guys agree, Dom and and uh, Nate? What do you guys do? You guys have any have any anything significantly different you want to add to that? Yeah, no. I mean, I guess the, the only thing I can say. Sorry, Nate. No, no, you're good, buddy. 
the the only yeah, thing you guys I are, can you think guys of, are cute. No. <laughs> he's my dumb the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the only thing I can think of is like, I, you know, I, I view it as um, th- there's more opportunities to find those wins. I realize, you know, starter starter wins as a whole are declining, um, but there are more starters to target, if, you know, in, in later rounds. Whereas, you know, you there really is the concentration of, um, you know, really like three rounds of like elite closers and, um, you know, I've been in situations in, in draft rooms where, you know, round two, there's like a, a heavy push on closure. So if, you, if you're at the start of the draft and you take, um, you know, two hitters and a starter, round four comes around, you might you might not have what you're you're hoping to be there in terms of saves. So that's just, I guess, my my view of it is like the concentration of saves is so limited whereas um you can target starters later in the draft that's that's my perspective on it though and i realize you know wholeheartedly that um people that like greg that are comfortable um chasing them on th- on on fab can do that um i just tend to feel more comfortable getting somebody locked in early cool yeah, I think if you're giving you know any advice to a person who's even just starting off and, and doesn't want to go through the rigors of of utilizing fab, I think there's more of an importance to take one a little bit earlier than normal, just because it's it's hard enough to try to hit dart throws, and it's even worse is if if especially and it's draft dependent. If there's two or three people that are isolating forty percent of the saves, then you have a group of typically you know. 80% of the league all trying to fab it out for saves, which makes it increasingly more difficult. So, I mean, I, I can understand the, the point of making sure you get the anchor, the anchor or the ace. Uh, DCs, I'm a little more likely to maybe go around earlier than in a uh, fab league. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's wrap it up. Um, wrap up this in this conversation, nice little bow. We talked about relievers by themselves. We talked about relievers within the draft. And then let's talk about the draft strategy. Um, on a, on a global level, so everyone talks about working backwards. Where do you think, where do you think the 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 biggest pockets of value are in a draft? Not talking about relief pitchers. You can talk about a starter or a position player, and that should really give you the like an an insight into where you shouldn't be taking your closers, and in turn where you should be taking your closers. So let's start with you, Greg. Um, where do you see like a, a big pocket of value in in the draft? Uh, when I was going through the SGPs, it just seems like there's there's such a clump of first basemen that are all the same, but their ADPs are very different. You know, people are taking Josh Bell because he's got the name, but you can get Josh Naylor, you know, two, three, four rounds later, and it's almost the same amount of production. I'm like, okay, he's going to be one spot behind him in the lineup, but is it worth that price point in a draft where I can address other needs? Um, so and, and I know everyone's saying outfield is shallow, but I think as the draft goes – you can target what you need. If you want stolen bases, you know one way to go. If you want power, there's other directions you can head. So you can address specific needs without field, without you know sacrificing everything in your draft room. So um, those those are the two for me that that kind of uh, just stood out. That I don't, I'm okay playing the working backwards game. I'll just get a bunch of, you know, I can I can almost cobble together five first basemen. If I get one of them, I'll be happy. Cool, uh, Dom. What uh, what do you what do you think? Yeah, so it's kind of 
evolved as draft season's gone on. Like if you, you know, Zach, you and I have been drafting together a lot um, this year. And like early on, I, I was, I have a thought that like um, power that doesn't hurt um, average um, was like really valuable and that like, I didn't want to, um, I wanted to focus early on power hitters that also contributed to average RBIs. Like I just felt like there was value in power hitters that, didn't necessarily provide steals, but gave you everything else. Um, just because like with the dead end ball, um, I, for, for me, I was chasing power all, all year last year. So like guys like Matt Olson and Kyle Schwarber, who, you know, people kind of soured on a bit. I feel like um, those were guys that I was targeting early on um, with pitching, getting kind of pushed up. I don't think I'm as, um, targeting those guys as much now just because in those rounds you really need to um, address pitching drafting the way I do with an early closer so um, you know I think like starting pitching in those middle rounds like you know like Clayton Kershaw round nine and um, you know Drew Rasmussen Charlie Morton a a lot of those pitchers I I really like so I think that is the range where I think um, there is some value and I think that you know, and I think as a whole, the market's kind of moved pitchers up like Lance Lynn. I've seen moved up, whereas you can get him like round 10 early on. Now he's kind of going in round eight. So a lot of those like middle tier pitchers are, you know, guys that I would love, I would love to draft a staff of like five of them and probably should probably means I should probably try to do a couple auctions, but I just don't, don't have that, um, kind of bandwidth for my my teams this year so that's that's a spot where i think there um there's some good value in terms of the draft absolutely uh nate yeah he uh steals april o'neill from me uh and then he steals the answer of uh exactly what i have looked at is that rounds 10 through 12 that uh, pocket like you said of uh, was Lance Lane, Clayton Kershaw there getting moved up, but you know, I'm fine with, I'm fine with a Joe Ryan and a Charlie Morton and, and even Chris sale in that situation. If I have enough uh, uh, solid innings up top, but I think that opens up the pocket of rounds five, six, seven, to be able to, to grab that closer that I want to use potentially as an anchor. Maybe if that's Camilla Duvall, not the best anchor, but at least someone that I feel comfortable that if I had to project, you know, I don't want to 20, plus saves. I like that. So I think the value for relievers are there and the values for like that SP three is in that uh, early teens as you get there, 11 through, you know, I guess double digits, we'll say. Cool. All right, Zach, I just, just one quick question. If Chris sale has a good spring, what is his, what is his ADP on March 19th? Mm. No, he's, he's, I think he's pitching on tomorrow. In the main event? Yeah, that's main event start, I think, the 18th. Seventh, seventh, eighth round? What would you say? What would you say? If he has a good spring, I can see that, or, or I can see somebody going rogue and even pushing him up higher. Yeah, so I'm sure he'll go at times in the sixth round and in the main event, even at this point. But um, I'd say his ADP settles like seven, eight turn. That makes sense. If, if, he, if, he, if he does decently. All right, we're going to move on now, Rick. Um, what is this? Are you able to, Rick? Are you able to separate this because this is going to be Patreon only content from now on? Um, yes. We're, we're, uh, go ahead. 
yes, I will. I have to uh, separate the way that this will be edited from here on out. So yes, if you are still listening, this will just be uh, patronizing content for the rest of the show. And I wanted to make a special announcement that in addition to this being on patronize only, we now are and I, you know, this may create some problems for some people, but you know, you're going to have to deal with it. We've struck a deal, uh, this podcast with Ellen Musk and Tweacher, that the only way that you can subscribe to our patronizing site is you must send Dogecoin. That is the only form of payment uh, that we can accept. So if you have a Dogecoin wallet, uh, you, you will have to send that. You know, Elon Musk is a big proponent of uh, the Doge. And uh, yes, that's the only way you can subscribe to our patronized site. So I just wanted to say that, gentlemen. And uh, with that, I've got everybody's tokens reset. And uh, I, I will have to bid everybody adieu. But it's been great being back here, I will say. Rick, are you a big into the, the Bitcoin? Do you know a lot about Bitcoin? I've never heard of it. The only thing I've ever invested in is Dogecoin uh, because of... Uh, Alan Musk, he told me to buy it uh, during the, I'll just call it the zombie virus from a couple of years ago. Uh, it was very popular at that time. I bought it when it was $2, and I can probably say right now it is just, I think it's a few cents, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can. Thanks, Rick. <clears throat> Thanks, gentlemen. Bjorn, you got you to take off too? Yeah, I have to take off too. Um, Damarello, I, I love working with you. Um, Greg, I think um, the only other time we've crossed paths on a on a call like this was uh, that one time uh, Jim Gray hosted a, a draft and I, I popped in. That was really nice. Um, Nate Markham, I, I'd like to say you have a nice voice and it was uh, great meeting you for the first time. Um, Reliever Recon, you know, uh, everybody should check it out and... Um, uh, yeah, have a great night, everyone. Hey, Bjorn. Sweet dreams. All right, so the, the, the rest of this is going to be on Patreon only. We're going to talk about um, two or three players. Well, let's say, let's keep it to two each that we that we think are a big inefficiency in drafts right now, not necessarily relievers. And we're going to talk about deep save sleepers. So I've got six of them. We're going to try and get through this as fast as possible. Like deep, deep guys that potentially some aren't even being drafted in DCs. Um and then we're going to talk about the spring training velocities that I've been tracking, particularly some relievers, and compare those spring velocities to last spring and to last year. So, okay, so Rick is going to probably cut this off at this point, and we're going to go right into the Patreon content, which is, let's talk about, name one or two players that you think are just like, you don't understand why they're going either too low or too high. Let's start with you, Greg. So that's it. That's all there is for this episode. The rest is on Patreon. It's about a one half an hour conversation with Greg, myself, Dom, Nate, and we went into some market inefficiencies uh, in in drafts. Um, we listed a player or two each that we thought were just going too late or too early. Um, and then we talked about, uh, I listed six um, relievers that are going really late um, uh, that might be of some interest. Um, we started with Jeremiah Estrada and we had a pretty interesting conversation on him. Um, quite a different take than you, you normally hear um, from all of us. And we we're pretty much all in lockstep actually. Um, so yeah, and it just got deeper after that. So he was probably the, the shallowest guy that we talked about there. And um, the reliever recon boys brought their own um, deep sleepers. Um, and then we talked about some spring, some spring training velocity readings, um, mainly relief pitchers, um, but some uh, 
some variance we've seen in the velocity so far this sprint. So that's it. If you want to check it out, it's there. Peace out. Did I say peace out? Yeah, I guess I did.